Wow. From theologian Linus, right? That's what Christmas is all about. We never get tired of hearing that passage read, do we, at this time of the year? That's what Christmas is all about. But is it really true that that's what Christmas is all about? Polls tell us, recent polls tell us, that with most Americans, uh, among Americans, I should say, over 50% would say it has nothing to do with Christmas. Over 50% say it's not a religious holiday at all. It's a secular or national holiday. And, and really, I guess, in reality, <clears throat> it shouldn't surprise us. Uh, this week, we were talking about this just a little bit. And um, um, Travis Lee, you know Travis, he does the recaps for us at the end. He's our worship leader over our Southridge campus. And uh, <clears throat> Travis was say, telling us about Aiden. Aiden is their second grade son. But he was talking about a time when Aiden was in first grade last year. And uh, they had gone to get him at school. And they, uh, Travis was driving home with Aiden. And you could tell that Aiden was a bit upset. And he didn't understand because it's right at Christmas time. You would think he would be happy. And so he said, what's the matter, son? And Aiden looked at him and said, Daddy, he said, our teacher asked us this question today. She said, what's the most important thing about Christmas, Jesus or presents? And Aiden said, I was sad because I was the only one who said Jesus. Everybody else said presents. Now, that doesn't surprise me, because here's what I've learned about children. Children are just honest, right? They're just going to tell you what they're thinking. Now, we would not ever say that. We're too adult to say that. They were just speaking the truth. And the truth of the matter is, for the majority of American children today, it is all about what? The presence. It's all about what we have. What's under the tree? What do we get excited about? They don't run in and run right to the nativity set. My grandkids don't anyway. Maybe yours do. Mine run in and run to the tree. Check the names. Check the size, shape, and weight of the presents. Amen? You know what I'm saying? When they're little, bigger is better. When they become teenagers, little is better. Right? Phones and so forth. Anyway. They like the presents. No, we're not against presents. I'm not against presents. This one came under my tree, and it's a real... Beth told me, said, bring that home, because it's real. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong. We, we like presents, but are presents a part of Christmas, or are they the point of Christmas? Is, is Jesus a part of Christmas, or is he the point of Christmas? I, I think that's something that we need to think through just a little bit. So this Christmas, we decided, in putting together this series of four messages in the month of December, we would focus on the missing characters of Christmas, trying to think about nativity sets, right? And thinking about that nativity scene, and who are the characters that are part of the Christmas story who haven't made the way into the nativity set? You remember? We talked the first week about, uh, uh, about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Very important part of the Christmas story. They, they gave us John the Baptist, and, and they gave us the forerunner to the Messiah. Very important, but you, you don't see Zechariah and Elizabeth in a nativity set. Second week, we talked about Herod, King Herod. Another vital part of the Christmas story, but he's not... Surely you haven't seen King Herod in the nativity set. Now, he did tell the wise men that he wanted to go worship the, babe, the child... But we all know he had ulterior motives, and that was probably one to two years later. Last week, we talked about all of the citizens in and around Bethlehem and how they are, in, are not in the nativity sets, but they are an intriguing part of the Christmas story. 
particularly because they hurt deeply over the, the tragic, tragic incidents of the slaughter of the babies. And so we talked about those. And, and I said, I want you to come this week because I got one other missing character that we want to talk about. But I want you to see if you can find him. So I found a picture that kind of says what I want to say. Put the picture up on the screen, Jerry. Uh, can you find the missing character? Now, I don't know if this was done intentionally. <clears throat> I don't know if it was intentional or I don't know if it was accidental, but it really makes my point this morning. Who do you notice is missing? The baby. Of course, who has a nativity set without Jesus, right? Who has Christmas without Jesus, right? Well better than 60% of our country will have Christmas without Jesus. The point I want to make this morning is really very simple. And that is this Christmas, this Christmas, if you miss Jesus, you miss Christmas. <laughs> If you leave him out, if he is the missing character in your life, not just your nativity, I'm pretty sure your nativity set's going to have the baby. But if he's the missing character in your life, in your family, then you're missing what Christmas is really all about. And maybe we need a Linus to come up and remind us what Christmas is all about. Well, I want to take you to the scriptures this morning, and I want to show you a song. A hymn. I guess for the purpose of this, we could maybe even call it a Christmas carol. I asked Brother Jeff if that would be proper, and he said, well, he couldn't find an argument with it, so let's think about that just a moment. Let's go to a song that we find in the New Testament writings that the early church would sing regularly as they gather together. In fact, it became so popular and so important that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Colossae, decided to include this hymn in the letter. Now, you say, well, how do you know it was a hymn? Well, you'll see if you open your Bible or you look at your Bible, you'll notice it, that it, it is written with a certain meter and a certain beat to it. And so we come to the conclusion, or theologians do, scholars do, certainly not me, come to the conclusion that it was an early hymn for the early church, and one that they would sing regularly. Now, why was that important? It was important because the hymn would remind them why it was that they had forsaken everything in their life to follow this Galilean named Jesus. They had decided to forsake the, the faith of their fathers, in many cases, the Jews who would be converted, or the comfort of Rome if they were Gentile, or, or, or maybe even threatened or have their lives threatened because of this Galilean, this Nazarene named Jesus. Why do we follow him? So this hymn that Paul reminds them about, it was a song that they would sing to remind them about Jesus and remind them that he is the point, not just a part. And I think it's appropriate for us today because it reminds us why we get excited and celebrate this season of the year. So, find Colossians chapter 1 in your Bible, or uh, if you want to read on the screen, you can read it on the screen as well. Colossians chapter 1. One, the writing of Paul, and I want us to look at this wonderful, wonderful little hymn and kind of unpack it a little bit and then tie it up, if you will, by showing you that Christmas really is all about a gift, but not quite the way that we look at it and approach it. You ready? Let's look at verse 15. An incredible hymn about the majesty of Jesus, our living hope. Can I just say, 
I got to just tell you, I just love that last song the guys did. That was incredible. And I'm thinking, man, they didn't know where I was going this morning, but that's perfect. Let's just look at this living hope. He starts by saying, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Just stop right there. We could spend the whole hour talking about that one little phrase. He that is Jesus. Who is this Jesus that we worship? Who is the Jesus that they worship? Who is the Jesus that we worship? Who is this baby in a manger, who, by the way, is no longer a baby nor in a manger? Who is this Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. Now, you know, I've told you before that the New Testament is written in the Greek language, right? And sometimes it helps us to, to look at the Greek language to, to get an idea of what the word is. The word here in Greek is the word icon. Icon. E-I-K-O-N. But what does that sound like? That sounds like an English word. We get an English word from icon. Icon, right? It's on your tablet. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. It is the image. It is the expressed image. It, it, but this in the Greek means so much more than just a picture of. It is a reflection of. So he's saying Jesus shows us. He is the essence. He shows us the very essence of the invisible God. Have you thought about that? The scripture says that God is invisible. What's that mean? How do we see God then? How do we know God? You know what? I think about it. In nature, we see the power of God, right? In nature, we see the beauty of God. Don't you just love to see the wonder of this universe? Did anybody see uh, the other morning, I don't remember which morning it was now, the launch from the Cape? You know, I, we, we, we never have our TV on that early, but for some reason we had it on that early. We saw the news. We saw the launch. We ran outside to see if we could see it from our house, and of course we could. Wonderful, beautiful sunrise with that rocket streaking across there, headed to outer space. And it was a reminder to me of the vastness of the glory of God. Every time I go to the ocean and I see the, roll, the waves roll in, every time I go to the mountain and I see the peaks and the valleys and the heights, and every time I walk around and see the beauty of nature, Beth and I a couple of weeks ago hiked around in the mountains of Tennessee in the snow. Can I just say, there is nothing. I'm a Florida boy born and bred, but there ain't nothing like snow to walk through in the mountains. It was incredible. The beauty of God. We can see His beauty and His glory. But how do we see His essence? How do we see His character? How do we see who He really is? Can't see that in creation. We can see that in Jesus. He is the image. He is the express person of the invisible God. And so when we look at Jesus, we see the essence of God, that God is love. We look at Jesus and he loved the world so much that he, what, came to die. He loved the people who were unlovely. He loved people who were different. He loved people who were underprivileged as well as the privileged. He loved the poor and the rich. He loved the sick and the well. He loved all because God John would later say, is love. We see the essence of that in Jesus. We see the holiness of God in Jesus and that he couldn't stand the sin. We see the, the, the anger of God against sin when he ran the money changers out of the temple, you remember? It is the essence of God. So he starts by saying, this Jesus that we worship and that we honor, he is the 
image, the icon, the icon, the image, the expression, the visible expression of God. Now watch this. He's not just a picture of God. Stay with me. Don't go out of here thinking oh, he's a picture. No, let's read on. Look at the next slide. Look at the next part of the verse. He says, he is the firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him it occurred to us this week that sometimes sometimes when people think of Jesus the last thing they think of is creator we think of Jesus as the baby. We think of Jesus as the man. We may even think of Jesus on the cross, but we don't realize. Did you realize he is the one, the Bible says, created everything? Well, I thought that was God. It was, but he is God. Hang on, stay with me. He is the creator of all things. John, his, one of his closest disciples, wrote it this way in his gospel book message. He started off his gospel, his story of Jesus, his eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. He started with these words. He said, in the beginning was the word that is the logos. It is Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word, was Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Wow. You see, John understood that Jesus was so much more than a baby. He's so much more than sweet little Jesus child. He understood that he is creator of all things and that he made everything and he is everything to everything. In fact, look at the next verse. It goes a little bit further and even explains it more. It says, for he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Have you ever wondered how everything in this world holds together? I mean, I really have. I mean, what keeps us from floating off the earth? I know it's gravity. I understand that, but I don't understand that. Right? What is it that holds our solar system in place as that rocket was launching towards space? What keeps the moon orbiting and not being flung off into space? What keeps... The molecules all coming together. What is it when atoms are moving everywhere? In fact, I read of a, of a class that went to a, a museum and, 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 and they were explaining some of the physics. They were explaining some of the, the chemistry. They were explaining some of the makeup of, the, of mass. And, and, and they were talking about everything just flinging together. And some child raised his hand and said, Well, sir, how does it all hold together? And this brilliant scientist gave this honest response. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> Seems to me that the early believers understood. He holds all things together. Now, I'm just simple enough in my faith to believe that he holds everything physically in this universe together. But I'm also simple enough to understand by experience that he also holds my life together. He holds my family together. He holds my marriage together. Well, you see what I've learned about him? As long as he holds molecules together and planets in orbit, somehow he just helps me keep my life together. But it seems like things are falling apart. And it seems like nothing's going wrong. But it seems like everything is crumbling. Nah. He's got it under control. He knows what he's doing. 
Look at the next verse. Not only is he the creator, but he goes on to say he is also the head of the body. What body? The church. You see, he describes the body. He describes the church as a body. That is so important. I don't have time to unpack that. Man, that'd be a great series sometime because really we do function. We should function as a body. That is, you know what? Here's the thing that's important about a body. I said I wasn't going to unpack it. Let me just give you, just give me a minute and then I'll move on. I, I promise. I just can't help it. There's just so much here. Think about it. We like a body. You know what I need to know about my body? I need every part of my body to function. My dad, this is gross, but I, for the point, my dad just had his big toe amputated. How many know he's going to miss that big toe? Now, the only time I think about my big toe is when I stub it during the night. But they told him, you'll have to learn to balance. Because every part of the body, can I just say to you, if you're a part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, you are important. You say, well, I'm just a little nobody. I, no, no, no. You were a part of a body. That's all I can say about that. Whoop. Now I'm going to trip over the lights. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to get a little bit happy and excited today. Because I'm telling you, we're talking King Jesus, not sweet little Jesus boy. I love sweet little Jesus child. But how many know he grew up? and he left the manger, headed for a cross, and he left the cross, headed for a tomb, and he left the tomb, headed to heaven. And that's good news for us because the writer of Hebrews said, he now lives at the throne in heaven praying for me. Wow. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. I have time to talk about all that, although I'd love to. So that he might come to have what first place in everything if I could just put it simply I think what this hymn is saying is that Christ came to have preeminence that is he came not to be a part of your life he came to be the point of your life to have preeminence in ah, most things nah. church stuff nah in everything he is to have preeminence why because he's Lord he's king he's left the manger and he's now in heaven as king of kings Warren Wiersbe one of my favorite writers the commentary biblical commentary maybe some of you have heard him maybe you've, I know you've heard me quote to him if you've heard me very much at all Warren Wiersbe said this about Jesus he said when we take away his preeminence we dethrone him. In other words, if he's not first in everything, then in my life, I'm dethroning him as king and lord and master. That's why it's so important. He came that he might have first place in everything. In that beginning. And then he says in verse 19, For God was pleased... For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Suffice it to say this. Remember I said a moment ago, don't get, don't get the wrong picture of icon. He is not just a picture of God, a painting. No, he is God. Fully God and fully man. Now that's the mystery of Christmas that still intrigues me. I've been looking at this thing of Christmas for 63. This will be my 64th Christmas. I shouldn't have said that. I just aged myself. I'm going to sit down. I'm tired. 64th Christmas. And I, I'm, I'm, every year I'm intrigued 
that at Christmas time, God became man. God, the fullness of God, wrapped in flesh. I mentioned John in that first part of his gospel. He also said this. If I had just read on or quoted on to you, he said this. He said, and the Word, remember that Word that was God, is God? That, that Word, he says, verse 14 of chapter 1, the Word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, God, became a baby. Paul wrote it this way to the Philippians in chapter 2. He said, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a man, and being fashioned in the likeness of a man. Paul said that God, eternal God, creator God, stepped out of heaven as a man, clothed with a body. Now, if you come to me after the service and you say, Pastor Eddie, you've got to explain that to me. I don't understand how God is wrapped in a flesh and becomes a baby. How can he be a baby in God? You've got to explain that one to me. Well, listen, come see me after the service and I'll give you the answer. The answer is, I don't have a clue. I don't know. If you've got that one figured out, I've got a bunch of questions for you. Then why can't you get out and talk about it? Because by faith, by faith, I believe it. You say, well, you're kind of simple to just believe that fact. Well, may I just suggest to you, there's a lot of facts you believe that you don't understand. For instance, when you got up this morning and you turned the light bulb on, the light switch, I bet most of you don't understand the science behind electricity, and you don't understand exactly. All I know is if I turn that switch up, the light comes on. That's all I need to know. If I push the switch down, the light goes off. Well, it's all about power. I know, but you don't understand it all. I don't have faith. It's okay to faith. Here's the thing. Can I just say, I don't believe my faith is a simpleton's faith because of this. You see, my faith is bolstered by what happened to that baby after he left the manger. Because you see, I understand, and history, by the way, even agrees. And he grew up to be a man. And sometime at or around the age of 30, he began to get into ministry. He went about doing good. He began to heal the sick and raise the dead. He began to speak to the winds and the waves, and they obeyed him. He began to do all manner of miracles, and he began to do something nobody else has done. He predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then pulled it off. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if a man can, can, can predict his death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to listen to what he got to say. And when he stepped out of the tomb, God said, This is my son. This is who he claims to be. And he is. It's by faith. It's up to you to believe. Sure. And so what he does now is he begins to talk about this whole process and says, Now, let's shift our idea from the baby Jesus to why Jesus came. Because I'm thinking, why in the world would God step out of heaven down to earth. Well, he tells us, look at verse 19. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, 
this song reminded the people every time they sang it, week after week after week after week, that Jesus came because God desired to reconcile himself with man. You see, the Bible teaches us that man and God were separated by sin. And that separation was like a big gulf, a big chasm, and it had to be bridged. Jesus came to bring reconciliation between us and God. Have you ever been reconciled to somebody? Somebody who's been estranged, a friend, family member, been estranged, and you somehow got back together. Isn't that an incredible feeling? Is there somebody that right now you're estranged from and you wish you could be reconciled? But you know that something's got to happen for that reconciliation to take place. Well, guess what? The Bible says you and I were enemies with Christ, enemies with God. When Jesus came to the, to the earth, he came to reconcile us, to bring us back together again as it was in the garden when God looked around and said, it's good, it's good. How did he do that? <laughs> he tells you right there. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Song over. Amen. Band sits down. Music's over. Turn off the mics. Put away the equipment. But wait, Paul says, no, 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 no. Not yet. I got something to say. And so Paul now makes his comments in the next couple of verses about what they've just been singing about. And he's going to say, what you've been singing about impacts your life. Now, can I just stop here? Can I just throw this in on the side? We love to do music around here. I love music. I appreciate these guys so much who come in, these girls who come in, they sing, they play their instruments, they give us this music to sing. But you know what? Can I just say to you, if you want to really understand worship, if you really want to come, if you really want to come away from here different than when you came in here, then, then you need to engage in that a little bit. You need to think, listen, we're not just singing songs to perform. We're singing songs that touch our hearts and souls. That's what it's about. It's about worshiping through singing. It's about freeing up our spirit to just praise and glorify a God who is so big. And music helps with that. So last night, I don't know why I tell you all my personal stuff, but last night me and Beth were sitting in home, and it had been a long day, so we were just kind of chilling in front of the television. And, and, and so obviously I got some music going, and uh, I'm trying to find something that would be interesting to both of us. And so we're, we're, we're watching Faith Hill's Christmas, all right? I got to tell you, I like Faith Hill. That gal can sing, right? And so I'm listening, we're listening to Faith Hill, and she's singing these songs. And I look at Beth, and I say, I like Faith Hill. She's good, but I really, she's not my favorite. And Beth's like, well, she's like, who's your favorite? Because we don't, it may shock you, but we don't talk a lot about country music at my house. But anyway, uh, I looked at her and I said, Carrie Underwood. Now, that gal can sing. And so she looks at me and says, what? what? Anyway, that's enough about our personal life. This morning, I get up. I get in my study on Sunday morning about 5 o'clock in the morning every Sunday. And I'm in there. And as I'm on my computer, kind of moving through what's going to happen for today, Moving through the message, I see an ad pop up for a YouTube video. So I go to the YouTube video. Why? Because it's Carrie Underwood. I'm thinking, we were just talking about her. Carrie Underhood, Underwood. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Carrie. Carrie Underwood. You can tell I'm not a big country music fan. Carrie Underwood and Michael W. Smith. 
one of my favorite Christian artists. They're doing a duet. Have y'all seen it? it? You need to go home and see it. It's called, the, the song they're doing is called All Is Well. And so I'm listening to Carrie sing with that incredible voice of hers and Michael W. Smith coming in to harmonize and then to sing. I'm listening to this song, All Is Well. It's such a simple song. It's such an easy song. There's not much to it. It really just keeps saying, all is well. Of course, her voice makes it anything but normal. And as I'm listening to the song, my eyes begin to sweat a little bit. You know what I mean? And this song begins to tug on my heart. Why? Because it's been a particularly tough week for us this week. It's been a hard week with a lot of things going on in our life emotionally. And, and it was though God through that music was saying, Eddie, all is well. It really at that moment was not about Carrie Underwood or Michael W. Smith. It was about the message in the song and how it touched my life. Listen, it is a glorious moment when you and I can get past who's up here and what the music sounds like to understand what the song is saying. He is our living hope. I don't care if it's a bit flat. Not that it was, Eric. I don't care if it's a bit off pitch. I don't care if the rhythm is... I don't care. Because here's the thing. It's not about who's standing here. It's about our living hope. If we can get beyond who's standing up here reading from this text and understand it is about the text. It is about the Word of God. So Paul's going to now take him and he's going to turn this thing very personal. And why shouldn't he? Faith is personal. Look at the next verse. He's going to turn it very personal. In fact, I've helped you by highlighting, look at all the you's and yours. Very personal. He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. In other words, once you were far from God, simply put. But now, he, that is Jesus, has reconciled you. Once you were far from God, but now He has reconciled you. He's brought you and God together. How did He do it? By His physical body, through His death. What? By His physical body, He made reconciliation between me and God. How did He do that? On the cross. You see, listen carefully. God is not only love, but God is holy and just. And as much as he loves you, he cannot just wink at your sin and pretend it never existed. He cannot just brush it under the rug and say, oh, you know what? Hey, uh, I love Allison so much, I'm just going to push everything under the cart. No, you can't do that, Allison. It won't work. Curtis, it won't work. He can't just say, oh, I wish. No, 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 no. There had to be a penalty for sin and death. And the Bible says that God had declared the wages, the penalty of sin is death. So Jesus came, God came to earth in the form of a baby to wrap himself in flesh so that he would have a body that 30 some years later he would present to God as a sacrifice for me and you. That is a greater gift than anything I can wrap up. Christmas time. And that's what he's saying. 
He's saying he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death. Why? To present you holy and faultless and blameless before God. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel, this good news has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant to it. End of message. Paul said, this is the gospel. This is your hope. Your hope of eternal reconciliation with God. Your hope of life is that Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man, wrapped in flesh, laid in a manger, with human parents to raise him, and a human community to watch him grow. A body that cut like yours and bled like mine, a body that ate and grew hungry, but a body that was without sin, so that when he lie down on a Roman cross and his blood began to flow, the blood that God himself caught was richer than the blood of any bull or goat or dove or animal laid at the tabernacle or at the temple. In fact, Peter said, we were not bought with precious silver and gold. Our souls were not reconciled because God bought us with silver and gold. No, he bought us with the precious blood of his son. So how do we leave Jesus out of Christmas? How do we miss the king? If you miss Jesus this Christmas, you miss Christmas so here's where I bring it home and land this plane very important point question is Jesus a part of your life or is he the point of your life now that'll answer another question is Jesus the point of Christmas or is he a part of Christmas I said children were just honest <laughs> you know the point of Christmas is presence no. Whether or not Jesus, hold on, I think this is a true statement. You wrestle with it. Whether or not Jesus is the point of Christmas or a part of Christmas may well depend on whether he is the point of your life or a part of your life. If he's a part of your life, he likely will be a part of your Christmas. But if he is the point of your life, he likely will be the point. Christmas. Ironically, <laughs> Christmas is really about gifts. The kids were right. It is really about gifts. But it's not about the ones that are wrapped in fancy paper and pretty bows. It's not about the gadgets and toys and clothes that we put in a box. It is about the greatest gift ever given. And that is the gift of God taking a body so that he would offer it as a sacrifice for my sins and reconcile me with God. Incredible. Now my one warning, and I'm done. Don't get so fascinated with the package that you miss the gift. Make sense? 
Don't get so fascinated with the package that you missed the gift. Now, these packages are beautiful, but guess what? When the kids get to my house, no matter how beautiful the packages are, you know, my wife, she just likes to put all everything, make it all look good, you know, all the same paper and all that kind of stuff and all matching, and it just looks beautiful. I mean, I start to take a picture and just throw it up there. It's just beautiful. But you know what? When the kids come in, they're not, they don't stop and say, Hey, Mimi, packages look great. think we're just going to leave them intact this year. Uh, they're going to rip it apart because they know that the real treasure is the gift inside. How disturbing that sometimes we look at the package of the gospel, church, songs, nativity, Linus, telling us what the real meaning of Christmas is. If we're not careful, we'll so be enamored with the package that we never have the real gift. Because the real gift is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is a treasure. Pray with me, would you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Could we just quietly ponder that for a moment? The real treasure is a personal an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that yours today? Do you have that relationship with him? I'm frankly not here to talk about religion. I'm here to talk about a relationship. Be careful. Don't get so enamored with the package and lose the gift. You say, Pastor Eddie, how can I have that relationship? The Bible says that we have a relationship with him. We gain a relationship with him by turning away from our sin and placing our faith in Him. That is believing that He lived and died as a sacrifice for me, that He was God, that He is God. But He took on a body to offer it on a cross to pay the price of my salvation and yours and to bring me back into a right relationship with God by faith. I trust him. Inviting him to take your life and be first in everything. I know that's a tall order. But when that happens, you have the gift of reconciliation with God, the gift of eternal life in heaven one day, the gift of a full and meaningful life today. The gift of God's peace, joy, mercy, and love. Not only seeing God's power, but understanding His essence and who He is. And enjoying a daily walking relationship with Him. That can be yours today if you'll simply pray. He's right here. Pretty sure he arranged you being here today for this moment. What about me, Pastor Eddie? I've already, I've already asked Jesus into my heart. I've already had him as my Savior. I'm living. Then you know what? Maybe it's just a reminder today to make him the focus of your life in every part, in every area. Don't just corner him into Sunday morning. But let him rule in your heart Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday.
Lord God, speak to our hearts and move in our presence right here today. We pray in the powerful and sweet name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.